let's again ask God to help us with his word. Our gracious uh, Heavenly Father, I pray in your mercy uh, that you would give us conviction of the truth of your word so that we would know the comfort and hope of resurrection for ourselves. You'd help us to understand your word and to believe it, and you'd help me to speak it truthfully and clearly. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, You get ready for what you expect to happen, don't you? You expect to be examined on a subject, and normally you study. Uh, You're pregnant, expecting that baby, and so you start to gather what you need. You know, the nappies, the baby clothes and the various bits of equipment, the capsule, the change table, the pram. And, of course, as you know, some will even start to repaint the baby's room and, and of course, then you pack the bag and arrange for the other children or perhaps the dog to be minded. You get ready. You get ready for what you expect to happen. And if it's something you desire, you look forward to it happening. The creed says, we believers in God, Father, Son and Spirit, we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the age to come. The sense is not, oh, we hope in some vague way that this is how things will pan out eventually. No, no, the Greek word the authors of the creed chose has the sense of expect. This is what we expect to happen at the end. And it is a wonderful expectation, something believers in Jesus can look forward to. Resurrection, the continuation of our lives in individual embodied existence where the Lord Jesus, as Paul says in Philippians, will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body. And a body like the Lord Jesus is a glorious body. It's a body that will never know death or grief or pain for it shares in the life of the age to come when the Lord Jesus will have destroyed death and death will be no more. Now you heard our Lord in his response to the Sadducees about the resurrection speak of this age and that age. Uh, That's the way the Jews thought of time. There was this age or what Paul can call this present evil age, the life we experience now, characterised by sin and its consequences, especially death. And then beyond the close of this age, there was the age to come. Now, the age to come is the time of the new creation. And in a a sense, we get a a feel for it from the word pictures that the Bible gives of it. It's the transformation of heaven and earth. And you can kind of get a sense for it, say, in Isaiah 11. The wolf will dwell with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf, the young lion and the fatted calf will be together and a child will lead them. The cow will be, and the bear will graze, their young ones will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the cattle. An infant will play beside the cobra's pit and a toddler will put his hand into a snake's den. They will not harm or destroy each other on my entire holy mountain for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The time, this will be the time when there'll be no more sin, no more death, no more rebellion against God and God's people will be secure, at peace 
enjoying all the blessings of creation in God's presence forever. It's a wonderful hope. And if you let yourself think about it, you see that, well, you'll, you'll see and hopefully start to feel how wonderful what believers in Jesus expect is, how it satisfies our longing for life and embracing the liberation of all creation from slavery to futility. And I could at this point expand on the content of that expectation on the goodness of a resurrection hope and the glory of the age to come. But that can be for another time, although you can read the scriptures that speak of it, for example, the end of 1 Corinthians 15 or Revelation 21, 22 for yourselves. But what I want to do this morning is firstly make the point that the resurrection and the life of the age to come has been the expectation of Christians from the beginning. It's always been what we signed up for. And then ask, what do the lives of those who expect the resurrection and the age to come look like? How do Christians live so that they are ready for what they say they expect? Well, firstly, resurrection and the life of the age to come has always been what Christians have expected at the end. You see, the resurrection of believers and participation in the life of the age to come was promised by our Lord Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says, truly I tell you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the gospel who will not receive a hundred times more now at this time houses, brothers and sisters, mothers, children, fields with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life, the age to come, eternal life. And again in John chapter 11, Jesus says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he or she dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Did you notice that promise has two parts? Firstly, verse 25, resurrection. If a believer dies, they will live. That is, they'll be raised from the dead. And secondly, they will rise to the life of the age to come. Verse 26, those who risen live, says Jesus, will never die. Resurrection and the life of the age to come is what Jesus promised to those who believe in him. And the resurrection was preached <coughs> by the apostles from the beginning. Our resurrection, as you heard, being proclaimed in the preaching of Christ's resurrection. This is what Paul makes clear in 1 Corinthians 15 in the face of those who were saying that, yes, they were Christians, they believed the gospel that Christ had been raised from the dead, but yet wanted to deny that the Christian hope was our resurrection, deny the resurrection of believers. Paul reminds them that the gospel all preached is that Christ has been raised from the dead. You cannot be a Christian without believing in Jesus' bodily resurrection, whether it's I or they, so we proclaim and so you have believed. And then, as you heard in the reading, <coughs> Paul makes the point that if Jesus, a true human, has been raised, well, then humans can be raised. Oh, and to deny that, to deny that humans can be raised is to deny Christ's resurrection. 
You can't have one without the other. In fact, he goes on to say, Christ's resurrection has made the believer's resurrection absolutely certain. Our Lord Jesus is the first fruits, that first part of the harvest that guarantees the rest of the harvest, each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to him. All preach Christ's resurrection, and if Christ has been raised, then we will be too. And in the ancient world, it was their hope of resurrection that Christians were known for. This was the hope for which Peter, who started his letter praising God for the living hope Christ's resurrection has given believers, this was the hope. Peter says believers must be able to give a defence of, to be ready at any time to give that defence to anyone for the reason, for the hope that is in you, this hope of resurrection. So the resurrection was promised, preached, and the hope of believers from the beginning expecting the resurrection of the dead and the life of the age to come, are inseparable from the beginning from believing the gospel, for they are part of the gospel. Resurrection is what every believer in Jesus signs on for. And if there was no resurrection, well, being a believer would be a waste of time. As clear-eyed Paul said, if we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. The focus of our hope, our expectation, has always been the resurrection and the life of the age to come. And we need to hear that in our 21st century Western society. You see, our secular society is preoccupied with the present with this world, with living as if this is the only life there is. And so you have to get it all now. And that preoccupation is the air we breathe, the unspoken assumption of so much of modern Western life. And so for a lot of contemporary Christianity, there's been this shift to focus on the this worldly benefits of believing. As a uh, Pentecostal pastor I knew and who I'd invited to speak to the Christian Union at Wagga said famously, it's not pie in the sky when you die, but steak on the plate now, mate, that matters. So what Christianity is about for them was the together life, the benefit of believing for your relationships, your prosperity, your health. And our resurrection hope has been obscured, relegated to the background. Oh, yes. Yeah, notionally on the books. But for Western Christians often it's a kind of consolation prize. You know, we're really focused on being well, wealthy, having great relationships and a toned body if you're on the Daniel diet. No, sorry. Uh, but if you get sick, say, and you're not healed, well, it's the consolation prize. You die, no, oh, there's resurrection. Or else resurrection's there as a kind of retirement plan. You know, life after real life. The life you have when you're not in as good a position to enjoy life as you used to be, right? Resurrection is not front and centre, real and substantial, the focus of our longing, but it should be. See, what if the resurrection and the life of the age to come was something you really expected, something that you were genuinely looking forward to and preparing for? 
Not because you believe in the idea, but because you really believe the Lord Jesus, who said, my kingdom is not of this world, who tells us following him has never been about getting it all now in this world, in this life. What if resurrection is your expectation because you are convinced of the greatness of Jesus' achievement on the cross, removing the sting of death by dealing with our sin, convinced of the reality of his present reign with all authority and your expectation because you are convinced of the certainty of his promise of life in the age to come, convinced because you know he is a mighty, gracious and faithful saviour. How would that expectation show? What do lives expecting the resurrection and the age to come look like? Now, we don't need to guess at the answer because the New Testament tells us the New Testament is full of references to the resurrection and the life of the age to come. Because of that, I have, because I've learned so much about preaching, I have seven points to help you see the good of this expectation, the comfort and the courage it brings, and also to allow you to test your heart, to see if your expectation is as you confess it to be. If you are living as someone who reckons Jesus is Lord and Jesus is faithful. Now, seven might seem a lot, uh, but I'm giving them to you because they're there in Scripture And my hope is that you don't just engage with God's truth in this 30 to 40 minutes, but that you'll actually make this time useful to you by then going home, looking up these passages and reflecting on them. So what do lives expecting the resurrection and the age to come look like? Well, firstly, it is a life, as you heard, of focused longing. Not only that, says St Paul, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now this, in this hope we were saved, but hope that's seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? Now if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. See, believers in Jesus are people who will never be satisfied in this life, who don't expect to be. There is a spirit-given discontent that is always orienting us to what is to come. As long as we are living in this world, a world subjected to futility and decay and death, a world which is not ultimate, Believers eagerly wait for our hope, the resurrection, that is, the redemption of our bodies. And our lives are then characterised by patience, the patience that comes from trusting God to give us what he has promised and what is our deepest, most embracing desire. Now, brothers and sisters, this longing is a gift For it's a longing powerful enough to put our disappointments and difficulties, our successes and achievements in this life, in true perspective. Those things are never ultimate. And so where we have this longing in our hearts, they don't have the power to crush or consume us, to ever rob us of our hope. Secondly, 
Expecting the resurrection will change our view of suffering. I consider, writes Paul, that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. And that's the glory of our resurrection and the life of the age to come. And again in 2 Corinthians 4, Paul writes, Therefore we do not give up, even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we don't focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. With the resurrection hope, our sufferings are seen as temporary and preparatory. They don't need to fill our vision as if they are all our reality. Instead, believers focus on the unseen eternal glory. And where suffering is temporary and preparatory, it is also now, because we know the living God who rules all things, it is also seen as purposeful, preparing us for the realisation and enjoyment of our hope. So that, writes St Paul, we can boast now in our affliction. We also boast in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance, endurance character, character hope. And this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. With the expectation of resurrection, believers are not crushed by our sufferings as if we are ultimate losers for enduring pain or chronic weakness, for missing out on so much now. And we're not overwhelmed by a sense of purposelessness when bad things happen. Even if we don't know the particular purpose of this or that affliction in someone's life or in our own life, we know that they have a purpose in our sovereign God's care for us and they will cease and usher us into glory. The expectation of resurrection lets us face our own future in these mortal bodies with courage. Now think about that, because the future is actually not all that bright. Many of us, like me, have seen our parents live long lives, and the last year or two, if not longer, is often awful. We're simultaneously thankful for good nursing homes, aren't we? And fervently wishing we never end up there. We know that the reward of living long is actually not in the end a rich and full life, but decrepitude, weakness, mental and physical, and dependence. It is not a great prospect. And it's no wonder, isn't it, that many older people become depressed and anxious fearful about what will happen to them, the suffering that will certainly overtake them. And many of the next generation looking at what's happening feel that too. But having an expectation of resurrection, that suffering is preparatory and purposeful, having that explanation, even as we feel the frailty of our bodies, we can have a hope, an expectation that can grow even greater even as our outer life diminishes. Thirdly, this expectation 
changes the way we mourn. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep that's died, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, in the same way through Jesus, God will bring those who have fallen asleep. For we say this to you by a word from the Lord. We who are still alive at our Lord's coming will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will, we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. To lose one you love, with whom you've shared life, or to whom you have given life, or who gave you life. That is what it is to be human. To live with the knowledge of that inevitable loss. And the grief can be overwhelming, as those of you who have experienced know, rising up in you at any time, sweeping over you, filling your mind. To have at the same time as you grieve the knowledge that the person you loved is better off, more that we, we will be with the Lord. That our parting, is not fine. That is comfort without the denial of the reality of our grief. Hope without minimising our loss. It's a wonderful, a glorious hope. And when you think of the fruit of this expectation of resurrection in what we've looked at in focusing our longing, changing the way we think about and endure suffering, comforting us in our grief, You see also how a real expectation of the resurrection and the life to come changes the way we deal with disappointment. You see, disappointment is a particular feature of modern Western life. You meet, don't you, a lot of disappointed people, people disappointed with their relationships, their jobs themselves. In fact, we are trained, aren't we, to have high expectations of ourselves and others and to think that life owes us. You know, a high standard of living, rewarding careers, relationships that are always bolstering our sense of worth, many healthy years. We're trained to think that life owes us happiness. And we're flattered by advertisers constantly to think that the world is here to meet our needs. And where you believe this life is all there is, Well, when life doesn't seem to be working out the way you expected, delivering the kind of life you'd imagined for yourselves, you know, where you feel your needs are not being met, that disappointment is supercharged and easily gives way to envy of others who seem to be doing better, bitterness at those who disappointed them, complaining about those who frustrated the realisation of what they felt entitled to. Their life is poisoned by disappointment. And you see that around us, don't you? Yet disappointments are a feature of life in this age. If you hadn't heard it before or realised it, let me repeat it. Disappointments are a feature of life in this age, subject to futility and death. You will be disappointed with your spouse, your friends, your job, with your body. Your body may well betray you to weakness and pain and Fewer years. 
and the higher your expectation that others are there to make you happy, that life's here to make you happy, the more certain your disappointment is. But if your expectation is resurrection and the age to come, well, you know two things. You know this is the present evil age. And you'll never expect perfection and unmixed happiness in this life. You'll be prepared for disappointment. Oh, yes, and you'll also know that no matter how much others let you down, how tough some of your experiences are, you are never the ultimate loser. You'll come to see the expectation that people are there to make you happy is actually idolatrous, something to be repented of. And knowing grace from God for your own imperfection, you'll be able to be gracious to people who disappoint you. And knowing this, you'll also be able to be thankful for the good we do receive in life, which, like life itself, is undeserved. Expectation of resurrection and the life of the age to come. It's a wonderful hope. Focuses our longing, changing the way we think about and endure suffering comforting us in our grief. And there are other ways that expectation of resurrection in the life of the age to come will show in the life of believers. Fourthly, it'll show in the way, or better, where we invest. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth or rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal. Expecting the life of the age to come, we will invest in heaven, in eternity, with gratitude, not as a grudging duty, because we are certain that there will be a lasting return for us on our investment. And think about how wonderful this opportunity is. I mean, let's say in my life, it doesn't look like I'm going to be a martyr for the faith. With my gifts, I'm not likely to do mighty works for the kingdom, but I can, and so can you, I can invest. Confessing our hope is actually a good time to think about whether your investment pattern looks different from your neighbour who does not have this hope. And so one of the things to do now, later, ask yourself, Is the way I spend my money determined by my expectation of the resurrection or by my fear of missing out now on this pleasure or that experience? Ask yourself, why do you spend your money on what you spend it on? Are you investing where you'll get an eternal return as one who expects the resurrection? Fifthly, Our expectation will show in a life that doesn't get bogged down in past achievements or failures, joys or griefs. Speaking of his desire to attain the resurrection, Paul writes, not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of it by Christ. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Let all of us who are mature think this way. You see, that's how a mature Christian lives. 
not chained to past success or failure, not having their identity determined either by what they have done or by what has been done to them, but pressing on, forgetting what's behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, that certain prize. And mature believers will want to do everything now that furthers and sustains that journey to the prize, whatever it is, putting sin to death, especially the greed and lust that ties us to this world, or taking up our cross daily to follow the Lord Jesus, denying ourselves, or commit to a life of prayer, a mind transformed by God's word, a pattern of life that meets with other believers for encouragement so that we press on towards the prize. Sixthly, our expectation of resurrection will show in a life that perseveres in the work of the Lord. This is the end of 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul's spoken of the resurrection and its glory. Therefore, because the resurrection certain, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. An expectation of the resurrection and the life of the age to come is a personal hope, but it is more than a personal hope. It expresses a perspective on the world. It says that Jesus is Lord and he will return and all his enemies will be placed under his feet. And so those who give themselves to do his will and proclaim his greatness in sharing the gospel through which he will save the sinners he came to save, right? those who do that, are on the winning side. They are not wasting their life in serving him. Where resurrection is your expectation, your confident expectation, you'll persevere not just in faith but in seeking opportunities to call others to the Lord Jesus, to abound, not just to get by, to abound, to excel in the work of the Lord. And seventh, our expectation of the resurrection will prompt those gospel conversations we desire, prompt opportunities to give a defence for the hope that is in us. You see, resurrection is a wonderful expectation in itself that you don't just rot and you're not condemned to an endless cycle of rebirth and suffering, but you rise with a body like Christ to never know death or decay. And where we are confident that we will rise because the Lord Jesus will keep his word, we will be willing to be faithful, even if it means suffering, to live as he did, a life of suffering for doing good. And that life will prompt questions, won't it? Questions like, why are you willing to suffer now to be faithful to Jesus? Oh, why aren't you sharing the pleasures of those around you, the drunkenness and the sexual immorality? Why are you willing to forgive and not exact retribution? Why are you willing to stay in that difficult marriage? Why are you willing perhaps even to die or be imprisoned rather than deny Jesus? How can you be sure he will raise you? They are great questions to hear and to answer. And where you live with a real expectation, where it affects your choices now, it actually may even prompt conversations with your children about why you make the choices you do, about whether that's about church or about sport or where they go to school. 
we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. That is the expectation of believers in Jesus. Is it real to you? Do you know in your suffering or mourning the comfort of saying those words? We look for the resurrection of the dead. Do you know their encouragement to faithful, persevering sharing of the gospel, to wise investing for an eternal future? Do you know the freedom from being bogged down that the expectation of resurrection brings, freedom from being ensnared by disappointments or by worldly successes, the freedom to press on for this great prize to rise with Christ? Do you know this real hope? And do your neighbours know by your choices as well as by your words that this is your hope? Resurrection is what Jesus promised. It's what the apostles preached. It's what we have believed for. And it is what the Spirit of Christ in us prompts us to long for. So know this hope for yourself by trusting the God you confess in the creed, the Father Almighty who sent his Son into the world to save, the risen reigning Son who gives life and pours his Spirit on all who believe. Know this hope for yourself and let it grow in you by giving yourself to the Spirit's work in you through the gospel word, trusting your mighty Saviour and meditating on his promises and victory and then press on, run for this prize that is worth more than all. And why don't you help yourself to do that? by taking these passages and prayerfully going over them today for yourself. Let this hope, this blood-bought hope, grow in you. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this hope. We thank you for its wonder and glory. We thank you for the graciousness of this gift of hope that we who deserve death have actually been given life, the resurrection life of our Lord Jesus through his death. Our Father, we pray that we would be people who know the comfort of this hope for ourselves and whose living with this hope, these confident expectations, prompts others to want to know the Saviour who alone, risen from the dead, triumphant over death, can give life to all who turn to him. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.